technically wet. Like, oh yeah, my dude. But have it's you ever, so drying. It's one ever... of those. It's like salt water, a liquid that dries you. <laughs> oh, how are you enjoying my sick? Because oh, I thanks, bud. Because I gave it to you for sure. But like, to be fair, Jane was also sick and then got better, and then I got sick, and now she's sick and I'm feeling better. Oh. So it's just an Ouroboros of disease. We yeah. all gotta stop sharing the same drinking bowl with Rhoda. We all gotta stop. Bidding into each other's hands and doing like the, the what is it the blood brothers thing, the blood brother no, blood yeah. brothering yeah yeah what's there you... a verb for that I think you nailed it in one blood, blood brothering. brothering yeah it's man it's so yucky and weird that people I don't like it do that we work so hard to keep our blood inside of yeah. our body and to not get it on anyone else if I got my if I get my blood on somebody else. I'm mortified. I can't talk to that person ever again. Yeah, You've friend, been my you friend. can't be a human with that person anymore. Yeah. They've seen your insides and not the good insides. They've felt them. They've they've touched them and caught my my disease from them. And that's how you got it. And that's why we're all wet inside of our noses and especially at the back of our throats. Tickle tickle, <laughs> Mr. Wet. Hey, Liam. This is Media Majors. I knew what you were about to ask. <laughs> yeah. It's a podcast about major media in a major way. Uh, Tom and I here tell stories about our preferred fields of media. I'm Liam Sr. I'm a Virgo Leo Cusp, uh, and I talk about movies and TV. Oh, shit. That's bad news, because you know what? Mercury is in retrograde. It doesn't affect either of my I don't know. star signs. I don't know what the fuck that means, but apparently it's a real big deal. It means that whatever star sign Mercury uh, uh, falls under, they get to do whatever they want and just be rude people because they can blame it on the planets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Tom Lockney, and I like to tell stories from the culture of video games and the internet. Tom doesn't know what his uh, astrology sign is because Tom uh, doesn't have a birthday. That's true. I just I just appeared one day. You materialized out of a lake. So, yeah, some say I was made from the sand, others the water. No one knows for sure though. Yeah, well I feel a lot like water right now because as we as we emphasized earlier in the episode, feel very moist right now. Also, before we start, because Tom's gonna go first and we're gonna talk about well, we, we usually pick a theme, and today we've picked the theme of you you, you say celebrity screw ups, but I think it should just be celebrity. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Celebrity. We've received zero uh, pictures of what people think Sonic's feet looked like, and I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. But if so you, someone could could get on that, get us some Sonic feet pictures, and maybe a picture of Tom's lake materialization birth, now a canon part of the show's history. This is true. I don't have a birthday. I How old am I? We'll never know. I mean, how old are rocks? How old are trees? How old is the sun? How old is song? How old... <laughs> How old is Rhyme? How old is Rhyme? How old is Rush? Oh, God. How many times has Rhyme turned 29? Am I right? <laughs> Do you think all the concepts get together and lie about their ages? Yeah, definitely. Times they're like, no, I'm not what you're talking about. I'm only 35,000 years old. And everyone's like, ah, uh, yeah, okay, buddy. Spite won't even answer the question. <laughs> what a dick. Twitch.tv is a live streaming service owned by Amazon, primarily used to stream video games. I didn't know Amazon owned it. Yeah. I knew someone big owned it. It was originally a spinoff of the general interest streaming website, Justin.tv. All <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Oh, that's so good. For like years, I had to hear, hey guys, I'm streaming over on Justin TV. 
But Twitch became such a runaway success that the company rebranded as Twitch Interactive, which, you know, <laughs> much, even if Much Twitch... to Justin's chagrin, <laughs> CEO Justin Video Game was like, no, no, no! I had it all! Uh, they shut down Justin TV to focus on Twitch. <laughs> Justin TV wants to live. I'm sorry, Justin. Why did we make this TV feel love? You know why? So we could love it back. <gasps> but they killed it, Tom. <sighs> Currently, Twitch features 2 million broadcasters monthly and boasts 15 million daily active users. It has expanded its scope to allow for more than just video game broadcasts, but gaming is still, by a large margin, the most popular content. Its rise in popularity in the games video content space meant that YouTube gaming saw a sort of exodus. Not complete, not total. People didn't abandon YouTube for Twitch, but a Competition. lot of- Competition. And also a lot of YouTubers would run streams in addition to their normal, more like edited content or, or whatever it was that they were doing on YouTube. So it's just another tool to make some more cash. Yeah, exactly. Hey, write in if you would watch us do anything on Twitch. We'll yeah. do it. We'll do it. Yeah. I'd like to say we're now at the point in the streaming ecosystem that folks making a name for themselves in that scene don't necessarily have a base or origin in YouTube, but it's impossible to separate the success of Twitch from the culture of YouTube gaming content and to ignore its influence would be reductive and foolish. Well, it's not it's not like um it's not like a music scene where it's insulated in whatever areas it's starting. It's the internet. Everyone yeah. has access to it. So, like, that's the reason that, like, you can make comment section jokes because all comment sections, regardless if it's, sorry, if it's Home and Garden or YouTube or any place, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it's all, it's all the same shitty people because all, you know, not all, but a lot of internet websites have the same systems and don't reinforce certain, let's call it, like, ideological... Policies. Policies, yeah. yeah. So that way, I mean, like, hey, uh, not to not to spoil this later, but, like, the audience sucks. Because here's the thing about YouTubers, especially the big ones, a lot of them are not great no, people. No, not at all. A lot of them are real bad dudes. A lot of YouTube's user base are bigots. Like, look at the comments. Like, those people throwing around slurs are not joking. They don't think it's funny to say slurs. They think it's fun to say them because they are bigots. Ooh. Sorry, I really like that. Yeah. That's so true, though. Yeah. It's not a joke. They're just racist. Yeah, yeah. YouTube's user base uh, is a lot of, like, really terrible bigots. And they're, I mean, like, YouTubers have a platform, and therefore they have something to examine and criticize that is, like, less fleeting than Twitch and is also a lot more intentionally curated by those content creators, you know? A great example is JonTron, who, who just is a white nationalist, but, like, you wouldn't know it necessarily from a lot of his YouTube content. He does heavily edited videos. He clearly has like an ethos of like, quote unquote, keeping his politics out of his videos. And like, it does spill through occasionally, but on those videos, you did not see him making jokes about how he thinks that wealthy blacks commit more crime than poor whites and that like, that the Reconquista is a thing that's happening. Which is real shit that this fucker has said, just not in his heavily edited, very popular YouTube videos. Four million subscribers, by the way. Jesus fucking Christ. The internet gives you access to so many skeletons in people's closets, and people will still just, like... I mean, it's, like, it's literally happening to the President of the United yeah, States yeah. right now. 
Uh, and he's and of course John Tron like tipped his hand in other content he was involved in like the Games Grumps Let's Plays where he regularly said like racist shit including one episode where he just screams put a hole in that n word upward of a dozen times. Yo, yeah. if I was a coworker, yeah. I would be like, yeah. hey dude, you're fucking fired. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot easier to see somebody's personal beliefs and ideologies when their commentary and jokes are not pre-written and edited together. Like, a thing that happens on, on this program is we kind of go off the cuff, so you can really, really see, like, what we actually fucking think about, like, the world and how things work. Um, because we're, we want our audience to reflect our ideologies. Yeah, exactly. Whereas to, a lot to, of these other people, they, they are almost, it's not that they're afraid, they're just smart enough to know To that, know that like, oh, I can't say white now. I mean, but, oh, but that's the thing is you can, because again, John Trump, it doesn't matter. Million it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter. But this is what YouTubers, specifically the big ones, were unprepared for as they migrated over to Twitch. That long-form improvised entertainment is fueled largely by the things that pop into your head. Sure, they might be like, quote-unquote, playing a character, but even something like that is a stretch. Dr. Disrespect is not an actor. He's a man who presents himself in a specific flavor. And by the way, even that specific flavor is hella fucking racist. This is why PewDiePie said the N-word playing PUBG on stream. I've talked about it on the show before. As we said, he says, you fucking N-word hard R. Nard, not. By, the, by the way, I should say, it doesn't matter how hard the R is. If you're a white person, you're saying the N-word. That's bad fucking business. They, they know what this word means. Just like all of us do. If you're a figure on the internet, especially YouTube, you know what the N-word means because the prominent white nationalist force within YouTube's user base uses that word all the fucking time. Also, like, take a history class. Yeah. The same goes for Twitch. Twitch's base is vocally racist, not just because America has a huge problem with racism, but because platforms like YouTube and Twitch have accepted racism and allowed it to grow. They set the standard that has now grown into its own tumor on the culture. A big harassment tactic right now is posting fried chicken in the comments of black streamer streams. Sometimes they'll combine it with, like, uh, a black person emoji or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is more than just white people with a platform saying the N-word. It is also a use a issue of the user base that rewards behavior. John Tron's 4 million subs. Uh, the number one streamer on Twitch right now, a guy named Ninja, brought up by the user base. Oh, he played with Drake. Yeah, he played with Drake. And then, uh, I believe, like, just a week later, he dropped the N-word on stream. Well, it was weird. Yeah. You know why that's weird? It's because he played with Drake. And, and, well, and it would be weird, even if he didn't. It would be weird because he's a white dude. He, re he dropped the N-word on stream, rapping along to a Logic song during a part that does not feature the N-word and is not even close to any mention of the word in the song. So like, he just he yeah. just said it. Also, people, people have been like, but he was like rapping and like, fuck that. Are you fucking kidding me? Like again, like the, the use of that word has nothing to do with like whether or not black people use it. It has to do whether or not like white people use it because like when white people use it it's bad because it has the racial power dynamic of a slur used to demoralize humiliate and subjugate an entire race of people for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years not a fucking difficult concept to grasp just don't say it just don't fucking say it even if it's in a one of my favorite songs right now is a Jay-Z song where it's literally every other word. And you know don't what even, I do when I sing along to it? I don't, don't say it! Even if I'm alone in my car! <laughs> do you know why? Because I am a white man! 
And there's never an okay time for me to say that word. Do you know how my life has been since then? Nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing is different. A CSGO commentator was streaming the other day and called someone in his chat a the fucking N-word. Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, when it comes to reporting on the matter, the press has also, I think, kind of dropped the ball. Well, they don't take video games streaming seriously. I'm going to read a pretty long quote from a Kotaku piece that really tries oh, its best to cop for it. When you said press, I thought you meant like Oh, like press. like WAPO. Well, I'm just saying like I I like I Democracy think dies on Twitch. Well, I was also thinking just like it's a big deal when a streamer that's really popular does something like yeah, this, yeah. but no normal news isn't going to care about it because they don't take it seriously. Well, and that's what's even more dis disappointing. I'm going to read a very long quote from this piece, but I, I think it's worth it because like it like the the games press is doing this. The games press is going to bat for white streamers saying the N-word and I just like I can't fucking. Okay. I mean, do you expect anything less from Kotaku at this point? <sighs> Quote, when I spoke about this with colleagues, we had a sense that this whole thing is somehow different than the PewDiePie situation. It is not. Hold on one second. Guys, I'm going to play a little drinking game, and I encourage you to, too. Drink every time that this, uh, this wrong. just makes a wrong answer. There's no hard R in the word he used. One was one, though, to the extent that matters in terms of how venomously the word is being used. Blevins, that's Ninja, that's his real last name, wasn't wielding the pejorative like a sword against someone. He was. When a white person says that word, they are. Yeah. Uh, he didn't seem to be using it in anger or as an insult. Doesn't matter. And it's not like uttering a single word somehow makes you into some diabolical villain. I mean, it's but... not about listen. It's guy. We're it's not, not about. It's not about qualifying people into villainy. It wasn't in the song. That's the big thing to take. It wasn't a It wasn't a word in the song. He just said which it. means it was a verbal tick. Which means that this is something that he's saying a lot off stream. Which means that this is a problem. Ninja still seems like a good dude. His contributions and deeds aren't erased because he said something bad. Again, nobody's talking about like his charity work or whatever the fuck it, they're they're meant, they're invoking here. Like the problem is that he said the n word and that is an issue. It has nothing to do with like whether or not he donates money to charity or some shit. People who do good things can still be bad people. Yeah. It's hard to ignore a moment like this. Everyone has an opinion on I'm, it. I'm sorry. It's hard to ignore a moment like this. The one correct sentence yeah. in this entire quote. I'm at like five drinks at this point. Everyone has an opinion on it. But it's also to, easy to be weary of it. Those of us who care about games or streaming had this conversation months ago. Do we really need to have it again for someone who mostly seems like a cool dude? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Anytime a white person says the N-word, and especially if there's somebody popular doing it on a platform, this is a conversation that needs to happen. Because otherwise, Every single fucking otherwise time. they're going to keep fucking doing it. And that's why they keep doing it. Because when this happens, people go, Ah, oh, well, you know what? Like, we already had this conversation. Like, hey, guess what? We've already had the conversation that the N-word is bad a hundred fucking million times. But nothing's and, changing. And, and black people still get killed. Like, like people, people still marginalize people of color constantly. It is not an issue. Oh, God. And what of how common these stumbles appear to be? Do we cheer on people's success as they achieve fame, but also set a mental timer for how long it will take until they fuck up? This is super disingenuous to engage in this. Like, f fucking up and being racist are two extremely different things. Ah, oh, darn, I fucked up and joined the clan. Like, 
I know I'm being dramatic, but fuck you. Are we waiting to see how long until the milkshake duck <laughs> rears its ugly head and reveals that our heroes and celebrities are flawed? No, like, like again, like, flaw would be like, oh, maybe, like, I, I snort my boogers or something like that. That's, that's like a gross thing or whatever. That's that, that you would find out about somebody as you got to know them better or whatever. Uh, them being racist is different. That is that is different and on a completely different echelon. Also, can we stop using Milkshake Duck? Can Even we? the creator we? of Milkshake Duck has banished it because it again misses the point. Yeah. The point of that meme was how like, hey, it's a real problem that a lot of people are racist. And what people use it as like, oh, isn't it cute when someone becomes racist? Like it's yeah. it's ugh. Or do we risk error when we simply become too tired to call out the latest celebrity doing something foul because we spent our energy knocking the last five? I that, I can, that, that doesn't even make any sense. It, I I have enough energy to keep calling out bad people yeah. and taking away their power. And, and I, like, I I'll be fine. Yeah, and like I get that you can't know about like every bad thing that somebody's done, and that you can't like I don't know fucking tweet every time that somebody does some bad shit or whatever. I don't I don't tweet every time I see some like call out post on the internet, and I I see a lot to be like oh man like what like oh man we're expending so much energy like calling out bad people for or like calling people out for doing harmful shit like like what like oh, man i guess you just really love the status quo you know <sighs> they say you should never meet your heroes but in 2018 it seems like an impossible mandate Internet celebrities on Twitch and YouTube invite you into their bedrooms and talk to you for hours on end day after day they let you in you think you know everything about them. You never actually quote-unquote meet your heroes, but somehow you still come to feel as if you know them pretty damn well. The mess-ups, again, this is not a fuck-up, this is him being racist, somehow feel more personal depending on your relationship with the personality. In today's media landscape, we constantly build new people up, immediately tear them down, all while it feels a little more personal, a little more like they tricked us, like they let us in with the promise of authenticity, only to discover that there was an aspect of them that they hadn't let us see. Again, like, hey, 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 if your whole thing is letting people into your lives, then they are going to see all the parts of you, no matter how much you try to hide them. And like, if one of those parts is racist, then guess what? Everybody gets to go, that fucking sucks. It is not the fault of people calling out racist shit for being racist that it is like bad or something. Uh, that's the that's the end of the quote. It I can't fucking believe this. I can. It's Kotaku. I mean, I don't know. I, and like, I'm not gonna name the author. I don't feel like getting into it with a fucking no, Kotaku. No, it's not worth it. But but, it's, it. but that was ridiculous. No, it's an insane. Listen, and we... it, irresponsible. It was that is they are a major press outlet with a platform, and here they are going like, well, Ninja's a pretty all right dude. Like, maybe it's okay that he said the N-word, especially because he said he was Zawi. Like, come on. The author is myopically beholden to the concept of celebrity, so let's engage with that for a second. Because now we live in an era where celebrities are not ideas, they are not just Beyonce, they are also pasty white kids who are themselves on stream and exhibit <laughs> shitty opinions or behaviors. Yeah. It's incredible that, like, Beyonce is as popular as, like, fucking, what's up, my name is Huge Nuts 69 Yeah, like... Yeah. My name is D's Nuts J 84 and we're gonna play Super Mario Sunshine blindfolded. Weed Boy 420. Ugh. 
The presentation is different, but the platform and influence are the same, and that's why this conversation needs to be had, and why we need to abandon this shitty, stupid, misguided, like, waka waka, guess you shouldn't meet your heroes bullshit. We've already met our heroes. Sometimes people don't ex exhibit their nasty elements until you've known them for a while, and it's our responsibility as people with platforms and influence and, and like critical opinions to interrogate and change the behaviors of one another to make these spaces below the platform in both Twitch chat and real life better. Uh, and, and just to cap off my story, in case you were wondering how many or how the people one of these platforms uh, think about, Twitch, ugh, man. In case you were wondering how the people on one of these platforms think about Twitch streamers saying the N-word, there are compilation videos of streamers saying the N-word, one titled Twitch streamers using the N-word, published by uh, user Viction on February 2nd, 2017, inviting streamers to appear in further videos saying the N-word and to send in their clips. So, like, to, again, wow, to these people, Jesus. like, it is not even a thing to think about critically. It's just like, oh, man, isn't it fun that we're bigots? So we're going to take a quick break so I can go dunk my head in a volcano or some other fantastical bullshit way for me to just die. Uh, we're going to hear about another show on the network, which will be a lot better than this. <laughs> Have you ever watched something for your favorite actor, but then afterwards you realized it wasn't worth your time? Well, our time is worth nothing. I'm Katie. And I'm Lenny. And together we host the Filmographers. Every month, we pick an actor and watch everything they've done. Then we report back to you so you know everything to decide if it's worth your time. So check us out on the Major Cast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. New episodes the first week of every month. All right. We're back. Um, I'm talking about Roseanne Barr. I want to apologize first off because like <laughs> this was supposed to be about just one thing in her life, but it turns out that uh, when you put a microscope under Roseanne Barr's timeline, um, the microscope <laughs> explodes and all the other scientists in the lab get mad at you. Oh no, oh no, you've let out, you've let it out. You, this is where the illness came from. This is exactly where the illness came from. That's the real theme of, of our stories, I think. It's not just celebrity, but it's, it's just like, yeah. this doesn't make sense. This, makes, this is ridiculous. This Literally, this doesn't this is make like, sense. This is like a, it's like a dream. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this first paragraph and I'm gonna finish it with Again, this doesn't make any sense. All right. Part one, domestic goddess. Roseanne Barr was born in Salt Lake City in 1952. Oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, there's more to the paragraph, Tom. <laughs> her Jewish upbringing was influenced by her devoutly Orthodox Jewish maternal grandmother, and Barr's parents kept their Jewish heritage a secret from their neighbors and were partially involved with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wow, damn. So she was a Jew pretending to be a Mormon. Wow. Man, okay. Barr stated, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I was a Jew. Sunday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and Wednesday afternoon, we were Mormons, which is a super normal upbringing for a child. I mean, would they, I guess, I, I mean, I guess they did. They would eat, you know, it's they the would eat and drink of his blood, you yeah. know? At 16, Barr was hit by a car. Well, I should quickly say, to Jewish people, that's just wine and crackers. Yeah, I guess you're it right. It yeah, doesn't yeah. matter to us. Yeah, yeah, Well, because 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 it's not real to you. We believe in pretty much everything but the he had a kid part. <laughs> yeah. That's where we fall off the story. He's just a dude to us. Yeah. He's not a dude with a kid. Yeah. He's not Terry the single dad. <laughs> so when Roseanne was 16, she was hit by a car. And the incident left her with a traumatic brain injury. And oh. her behavior changed so radically that she was institutionalized for eight months oh, at Utah State Hospital. 
Uh, she said that this was actually a really great time in her life. Really? Again. Again. None of this that makes any yeah, sense. Because especially, especially back in the day, like, institutions This were would have been just 1968. Like negligent torture chamber palaces. I, I, think, I think it must have been in Utah, so it must have been, like, Mormon run. I don't fucking know. So, yeah. In 1970, when Barr was 18 years old, she moved out by informing her parents she was going to visit a friend in Colorado for a couple weeks and then never came back. Oh, classic. Oh, man, I love the evolution of, like, I'm going I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes, I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail, I'm visiting a friend in Colorado. Yeah, she fucking ghosted her parents. Yeah. And her three sisters. Wow. Uh, her sisters and her brothers. Brutal. There she met Bill Pentland, who was a night clerk at a motel. They fell in love and had three kids in three years. Damn. Yeah. Got busy. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that I learned about this story is that Roseanne Barr is fucking in tune with her sexuality. (laughs) And like, she does a lot of really bad shit. Yeah. But I have to respect her for that. This is a portrait of a complicated woman. Yeah, it's clearly. Around 1978, Barr started working part-time as a cocktail waitress in Denver. Uh, She began her career as a comic by talking back to customers. That was literally how she got into comedy. That's, one of her regulars was like, you're hilarious when you yell at customers. You should go do stand-up. Isn't that literally... That is literally a Broad City episode. Yeah. 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 And that's... Doing stand-up is where she developed her domestic goddess routine. Bar's act was unique. She would munch Cheetos from a bag and tell jokes about being a mom. She was original, different from other female stand-ups. You know, she's... And her confidence was the big thing, is that she didn't give a shit. She didn't give a fuck about who anyone was. Quote... I'm funnier than every motherfucking man there is. And that's how I felt when I was on stage. Nice. And when I got off stage, I would only keep the funny. But I didn't feel the power. I felt frightened and a little weak. That's why I am a stand-up. Her domestic goddess routine was a huge hit, and she was a regular at the Comedy Store and the Improv, and she was touring with comics like Louis Anderson. She also toured with Julio Iglesias. Because they had the same audience. Wait, the... The singer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, Julio? not not Enrique, no. not Gabriel. Who, no, I'm I the the there is a before Enrique Iglesias there was a singer in the '80s named Julio Iglesias. Okay, who was basically the same thing. I'm not, I mean they're they're different, but I'm like, not very same familiar on my Iglesias. But it was if they had the same audience of of moms. Okay, the tour was a huge success, but Barr was not digging the domestic goddess routine ever, anymore. Around 1987, she told her agent, who was also the agent and mentor to Richard Pryor and Robin Williams, uh, that she wanted to change her act. She said, I need to say fuck. I need to say fuck. I'm angry. I'm not Let a domestic go- goddess. say fuck. So in January 1988, Barr wanted a TV show. She hated the road. She hated the grind of travel. And she wanted financial security. She had been approached about doing guest spots or playing the mom or best friend as a regular in a sitcom, but she wanted her own show. So she had an HBO special, which technically could have been a pilot for, like, a Roseanne show. And producers Marcy Cartsy, that is a great name. Very good. And Tom Werner approached Barr about starring in a TV show. Uh, they had had huge success with The Cosby Show and were enthusiastic about Barr. And she was, in turn, thrilled to work with him. Oh, man. I bet you they are having a real bummer of a time now. I think at Yes. Jesus. Yeah, right. Wow. Right? So Carsey Werner hired Matt Williams, who had worked as a producer on Cosby. He wanted to call the series Life and Stuff rather than Roseanne, arguing that if the series were named after Roseanne, it would become a star vehicle, giving her a disproportionate amount of control and power. Roseanne Roseanne didn't understand this because she was like, <laughs> yeah, that's but that's, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Well, it turns out that 
they would not get along. He tried to claim sole credit for the show. Oh, and she oh, was oh, not having uh, uh, any of that. Uh, uh. She wanted him fired immediately. He put only his name on the first episode, apparently. Really? Yeah. That's... Man, hey, you know what? Leave it to men. She wanted her fire. She wanted him fired, but her producers told her no. So she responded by being incredibly crass. She would belch and fart and swear and make everyone uncomfortable during writers' room sessions. It should be noted that at this point, that like to you and I, yeah, yeah. that would be like the be- the best thing in the world yeah, if yeah. someone did that. I would I, hire I, them immediately. Me, I'll just drink a bunch of beer. The, the, you know what? I'll just drink a bunch of beer the night before, and then I'll just fart a bunch in the office. And everyone wanted to fire her, except there was one tiny problem. Her show was fucking huge. huge. Phenomenal hit. They ended up replacing Matt Williams with a producer from a show called Different Strokes, which holy fuck are we going to do an episode about, and that is going to be maybe the most bonkers, crazy, depressing episode we do. Excellent. During the second season, she talked about menopause on an interview on the Today Show. This was a huge no-no, and the suits wanted revenge. No one cared, and Roseanne realized that she had total control. Yeah, damn. It's almost like it's almost like all the rules about what you uh, can and cannot talk about that don't have to do with bigotry, obviously, are are completely fabricated and made up and based in literally nothing. So basically, after that incident, she got she realized that she would always have power. She's yeah, she's got more power than any of these fucking people. Part two, she devil. At the same time, Roseanne had met a young comic named Tom Arnold. He actually opened for her, and he even appeared in her HBO special. And although they were both married, Barr was uh, both in relationships, Barr was married while Arnold had a girlfriend. There was a palpable attraction between the two. They met in 83 when he opened for her in Minnesota. He killed me, Barr says. He did this goldfish act. He did this tricks with little goldfish. I trained goldfishes, uh, says Arnold. One of them drove a motorcycle through a ring of fire. One disappeared at the end of my act. He ate it, Barr says. After the show, they went out drinking. They stayed out all night getting crazy and ingesting huge quantities of food. The sort of partying became their pattern for the next six years. We'd party for a weekend, says Barr, and then we'd be just like best buddies. We'd always go shopping at the fat men's stores and buy the same shirts, and then we'd go on stage as twins and beat each other up. (laughs) Their relationship was not physical. We never hugged for six years, says Arnold, almost hugging her now. This is from a Vanity Fair interview from 1992. We never talked about having sex, says Barr. But, Arnold says, in her HBO special, I played her husband. I brought my girlfriend to the show. This is from Barr. He said, Denise is really jealous of you, and I just laughed and laughed. Why would she be jealous of me? And then we did the HBO special, and we fell in love. He had to do this scene where he used the slob husband, and I have this fantasy that he puts on a tuxedo and carries me away. When we did that scene, and he was coming towards me, we looked each other's eyes, and it was, oh no. And then we hugged, and it was so scary. We went out afterwards, and he told me, he says, my girlfriend thinks we have a crush on each other. And you go, Arnold continues, we kind of do, don't we? And I said, Bar echoes, loving the story, we kind of do, don't we? And he said, yeah. So then we went to the improv and ate 10 things and drank a lot. This seems like a really, like, bad idea. Like, I feel like I'm about to watch a train car accident. Nothing much happened after that evening. Tom went home with Denise. Roseanne went back to her husband and kids. But the attraction was clear. The two couples went out to dinner once, Bar recalls. Oh, boy. We were in this Greek restaurant that had a band, and I started tapping my glass to the beat, and my husband went, stop it, stop it. So then Tom started doing it to his glass, and his girlfriend goes, stop it, stop it. They started talking about how awful we were, and Tom just looks into my eyes and goes, Attica, Attica. And that was the second time we almost got really close, but we kept pushing back because we didn't want it to be true. And and also because you are crouching, you are crouching on your chair like Lakeith in terrified because these two people have some beautiful things going on in their lives, and they are going to fuck each other and ruin it. 
It wasn't until six months later, says Arnold, February 12th, 1989, here in LA at the Forum. We went to see the Grateful Dead. That's why I have this tattoo. Arnold pulls up his sleeve, revealing a Grateful Dead tattoo. They talked all night, and then they hugged, and the next day she kissed him on the cheek. Just a peck, says Arnold. Uh, so th- he had ended things with Denise. She yeah, was still married. Yeah, because fuck Roseanne, and she wants to fuck him, it seems like. And I'm terrified. Uh, Roseanne and Tom's relationship were finally consummated in New York, where she was working on the movie She-Devil. It was an all-day sexual marathon, and they were very proud of the fact that much of the furniture was destroyed. We've kind of gotten down in restaurants, Barris bragged. We just can't help it. We go into the yogurt store and ask if they have a bathroom and go in there and do it. Wow. We haven't done it on a plane because we're both afraid to fly. (laughs) Which is a pretty good joke. I love that. Barr's friends, family, and associates, not to mention her then-husband, were enormously wary of Arnold. Yeah. Partially because, in her words, the two are ass-tearing wild people. What this meant initially was that Arnold had a severe cocaine problem, which only fueled Barr's drinking. Oh, my God. He had also been fired from Roseanne, where Barr had secured him a position as a writer. At the time, Arnold was selling information about Roseanne to National Enquirer. I paid taxes on the money, Arnold says. Sounds like a real huge piece of shit. We're going to talk about um, tabloids someday on a future media major story and that will be like part two of tom and and roseanne because their relationship was a big thing to the tabloids and it turns out that they were also perpetuating it which is like we need to discuss that at further we just don't have the time (laughs) he was also uh emotionally manipulative uh cutting and cutting having her cut people out of her life that he didn't like he also thought that she should divorce bill which she did Four days after the divorce, Tom and Roseanne got married. Even though two days before Tom was in rehab, Roseanne's oldest daughter, 14, was getting out of rehab, and Roseanne had just met Brandy, the child that she had given up for adoption when she was 17. Again, this is all normal behavior and totally fine to do two days before your super quick wedding. I'm so scared. Man, I feel really bad for those kids. Roseanne, uh, Roseanne's lawyer, Barry Hirsch, who's a super famous uh, entertainment lawyer, wanted them to sign prenuptial paperwork. Tom yeah. didn't like that, so he got her to switch lawyers wow. to one that defended Tom when he was arrested for urinating on a McDonald's in Jesus Minnesota. Christ. People used to control Roseanne because she was afraid they were going to leave her, Arnold says, or else they convinced her that her career was going to falter or they were going to take her kids away. When you have that fear, they have power over you. When we got together, I knew that people would say everything that they did say about me. I predicted everything that happened, but it doesn't matter. She loved me in spite of those people. It was a tough time because I was trying to get off drugs, but once I got clean, these people were gone, I would say. And now they are gone. That's what a cult leader says. That's that's such a classic abuser tactic is 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 to be able to identify the shitty broken parts of yourself and then and then spin it so it makes it seem like you have like a super accurate perception of the world around you when really all you have is the knowledge that you yourself are a piece of shit arnold puts his arm around bar people tried to prevent us from being together and they were just trying to protect me but it was just so sick to have people like that around me tom loves me bar says no one could believe that they fired producers that, that they didn't like and brought on Tom as a producer, and Roseanne was reportedly the happiest she had been. Sounds like a normal use of power. They'd, yeah. they'd fuck in her office all the time. Part three, look who's talking to. April 19, 1994. Whoa! TV's queen of grass, Roseanne Harold, fired for divorce Monday after four years of publicity-ridden marriage saying Tom Arnold had beaten and abused her. Yeah, what? Oh my God. Her divorce petition in, in L.A. County Superior Court cites 
irreconcilable differences. In addition, her husband was slapped with a restraining order. In her application for the restraining order against Arnold, she declares that, I now realize, hold on, I now realize that I have been a classic battered and abused wife. Throughout our marriage, the respondent hit me, struck me, had thrown objects at me, pinched me, and verbally abused me. Tom reportedly moved out of their home six months ago. In her divorce petition, Roseanne uh, asked the judge to deny Tom any alimony. I'm glad that I'm glad that she at least like managed to get out. By all accounts, Roseanne fired her husband and his uh, EP from her series, placed a security guard outside the office to keep him out, cut up his credit cards, and flew to Europe for a vacation. April 26, 1994. A week later. Roseanne Arnold, the outspoken comic who has made her volatile relationship with husband Tarn Arnold as a public of the couple's television series, cried out Monday to be left alone. Four days after dropping divorce proceedings and withdrawings that Tom and, with, and withdrawing the charges that Tom abused her, Roseanne issued a sharply worded statement and demanded, "Leave us alone." <laughs> he never beat me. He never abused me. Although it's a titillating story to many out there, it's untrue and insults women who are really battered. Leave us alone. So I I don't know. Weird. Okay. I I literally it, a week later, that that article, same paper, same same newspaper, prints that article a week later. So I even think they're like, we have no idea. Okay. Oh. So I took a TV history class, and the teacher was uh, the e- was an EP on Roseanne. Yeah? For, like, the last couple of seasons. Okay. And he was specifically working on the show during the time of the divorce. And th- she had a divorce day party where they rented out the stage, shut it down to just do a party where they had a whole Hawaiian luau, including with torches and a suckling pig. Even with all this mess in her life, Roseanne was still wildly popular. After her show ended, she went back to stand-up around 2005. She hosted cooking shows and some, like, search-for-the-funniest-mom-type shows, and she wrote books and got married again to her bodyguard, but they divorced in 2002. Part 4. Jill Stein. Oh. On August 5th, 2011, Barr appeared on The Tonight Show with Jane Leno and announced her candidacy for president in the 2012 presidential election running on the Green Tea Party ticket. I think that might have been someone's goofy little Wikipedia joke. I think it's just the Green Party ticket. But I do like that person's goof. Yeah. That's very funny. Her candidacy called attention to economics, personal health, and meditation. She also stated that she would run for Prime Minister of Israel. In an interview with the Jewish Daily Forward, she invoked Tikkun Olam in her support of bringing women into politics and religion. On September 19th, 2011, she appeared at the Occupy Wall Street protest and spoke in support of the protesters. She further stated that any guilty Wall Street banker should be forced to give up over, should give up all their income and be sent to re-education camps and be executed if they resisted. Oh, okay, all right. Barr filed with the Federal Elections Commission as a Green Party presidential candidate in January 2012. I like the revolutionary spirit she's got, at least. She open, publicly announced her nomination, uh, uh, her her candidacy for the nomination on February 2nd. On July 14th, 2012, Barr came in second losing the nomination to Jill Stein. Wow, wow, wow. Jill Stein really, hey, you know what? I can't believe I'm saying this. Jill Stein saved the day. Stein chose uh, Sherry Honkala as her running mate, despite suggestions that she could choose Barr. Do you uh, think Do you think Jill's crystals told her she was going <laughs> to win? No, it was lyrics that her 90s folk funk band wrote. Barr was given a prime speaking role at a Green Party convention, but she sent a su- surrogate who just chided the crowd for not voting for her in the first place. Right. Barr repeatedly uh, criticized Jill Stein. <laughs> Barr repeatedly criticized Jill Stein and caused con- controversy by using transphobic words in statements about Stein on Twitter. Oh God! Cool job. Good. 
she would then announce that Barr would run on the Peace and Freedom Party ticket with activist Cindy Sheehan as her running mate. Uh, she won the presidential nomination for the Peace and Freedom Party ticket, but her running mate had immediate disagreements with her uh, from Barr's views on policy to Barr's desire to only campaign online and to Barr's treatment of nominee Jill Stein. Cindy requested her name be taken off the ticket, but she was told it was too late, so instead she announced that she was going to leave the campaign. She appeared on the ballot in Colorado, Florida, and California. She voted for Obama. All right. She received 67,326 votes, placing her in sixth overall. Uh, Still did not win. Oh, well. They made a documentary about it. So if you're more interested in that, there you go. I'm not. I'm very sorry, Jill. I'm just not. She was such an anti-Hillary person during the 2016 election that she was a big Trump supporter. Continues to be so. In a now-deleted tweet to the Jerusalem Post, Barr revealed that she voted for Trump. This is especially troubling when her sitcom was revived earlier this year. Her character had also voted for Trump and had not talked to her sister, played by the wonderful Laurie Metcalf, for a year because her sister voted for Jill Stein. A lot of people were not super into the idea, but the show premiered to a rating smash and the revival was immediately picked up for another season and given a four-episode extension. Recently, there is a moment in the show where Dan, John Goodman, and Roseanne are talking about how they missed everything on ABC from Wheel to Camel because they fell asleep. We missed all the shows starring Black and Asian families, says Dan, referring to ABC's Fresh Off the Boat and Blackish. Roseanne responds, they're just like us. There, you're caught up. So I want to talk about that because that's, in a nutshell, like the big problem I have with Roseanne is yeah. that, and and the and honestly, the people working and writing on the show, um, like producers Whitney Cummings and Morgan Murphy, I think should know better than that. They're yeah. they're comedians. Yeah. They're yeah. supposedly very anti-Trump, and they they should they should know better. Because uh, well, I mean, that's not what the shows are about. The shows Fresh Off the Boat and Blackish are specifically about how they are not like white families yeah. because they are not white. And they do not have the same experiences and do not in- ex- encounter the same societal hurdles. The current showrunner of Roseanne begged people to uh, distance the character from the real person, but on also talked about how, oh, it was just like a fun, a fun reference to the other shows. It should be noted that Kenya Barish, showrunner of Blackish, who is a black man, is apparently being courted by Netflix to leave ABC. Uh, and and honestly, couldn't blame him if he left. Shonda Rhimes has already done that, so I'm not be surprised if Kenya Barish were to join because he's incredibly talented. It's very lucrative right now. Co-wrote Girls Trip, which was a huge hit. Not only is his show doing both his shows doing really well, it's just so weird. Then the showrunner of Roseanne was also asked about Roseanne's Hitler picks. Oh and he my could not god, have a good right. response. Oh my god, that's fucking right. I fucking forgot about that. See, Barr elicited story got away from me. See, Barr elicited criticism in July 2009 when she posed as Adolf Hitler in a fi- feature for the satirical Jewish publication Hebe Magazine. Hey, even if it's satirical, I have a problem with your magazine being yeah, yeah, called yeah. that. It's a little weird. Um, called that oven feeling. Hey, I have a problem with your satirical <laughs> magazine. Even if you're Jewish and writing it, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. The Nazi theme was reportedly her suggestion. Hey, hey I have a problem hey with everybody. this. Hey, everybody. Yeah. 
and featured her with a Hitler mustache and a swastika armband holding a tray of burnt gingerbread man cookies, the article referred to as burnt Jew cookies. Hey, so first of all, gingerbread man cookies are not Jewish cookies. They're not part of Hanukkah. They're part of Christmas. Also, I have a problem with your satirical magazine, even if you're Jewish, because I don't think you're doing satire right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep saying that just so I get the point reinforced. The magazine's publisher, Josh Newman, said that the photos were taken for satire and shock value. And not good. While Barr defended herself saying that she was making fun of Hitler, not his victims. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think you know how no. making fun of something works. Fox News TV host Bill O'Reilly was highly critical of her for mocking the Holocaust, which is hilarious because Bill O'Reilly probably hates Jewish people. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a fucking huge piece of shit domestic abuser. And you know what? No, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Fuck Bill O'Reilly. Fuck Bill O'Reilly. So honestly, I don't know what to make of any of this. When you look at Roseanne's timeline, the way she carved out a space for herself and changed television and allowed uh, her voice to be on there, that's incredible. And you can't help but feel some admiration. But she's also, like, did you not hear the Hitler thing that I just talked about? Yeah. Like, that's unacceptable. Don't forget the... Uh, transphobic slurs she used against Jill Stein, because I wasn't. Slurs. I was going to bring it up right now. Well, and also the, the conspiracy theories that oh. she's uh, touting around now, that, that the, Q, the QA, the QAnon, um, that Donald Trump is engaging in, like, nth dimensional chess to get rid of or to help out... Uh, children who are, are like, man, we. I think I talked about. Yeah, I had. You've I, talked I, about I had it. a PizzaGate episode. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like it's PizzaGate 2.0. It has that same sort of like using child sexual abuse as a as a tool. They to They basically demonize. think that the deep state is and politician, high powered politicians are like running sex a child sex are ring. Running a child sex ring. <laughs> Even Roseanne though Donald Trump this. himself has had multiple lawsuits uh, leveled against him for raping a thirteen year old girl. Yep. So here's, like, she, she says things like this, and it's like, what's the point of all of this? Why are we still giving voices to people who support Trump? Why is the New York Times interviewing people who voted for Trump and are still supporting him? Like, we get it. They're not like Trump, but, like... But they are also racist still. But, like, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Yeah. And say that they're still bad. Yeah. And I don't want to interact with them. Not being not being as bad as a man who is currently letting Puerto Rico die effectively like Yeah. the bar like the bar has is so low. The Roseanne bar so low. It's so, so low. low. I'm cool with never watching Roseanne and I get that people will, but I still have the idea of saying, "Hey, if you support Donald Trump as president, fuck you." Like yeah. And that's Roseanne. It sure Sometimes is. we talk about the worst shit imaginable. <laughs> Like conflicting problematic figures and streamers who do dumb things with their mounts. So we like to balance it out with a little bit we call the self-care corner. Uh, yeah, every week we like to balance out the bummer stuff with a nice thing that happened in our lives. If you would like to send in a self-care corner, please do. We'll read it. We want to hear about nice things happening to you. Um, you know what was a nice thing that happened to me this week? What? So my my mean manager got off uh, shift before I did, and so at the end of my shift, I felt comfortable taking off my hat and letting my hair down as I cashed out. And two of my coworkers told me that my hair looked beautiful. <laughs> and you know what? That's awesome. Damn it! If that didn't put a little wind under my feet, I I I, I took road into the dog park today, and that was fun. Other than that, 
I had to fucking write a story about Roseanne. Oh boy. I'm I don't know. Sorry. Atlanta and Legion had great episodes. Yeah, I'm an true. FX junkie. Hey, support the shows. We've been running long on this one, so I f- say we quickly get through the plug so yeah. I can order food. At Media Majors Cast on Twitter, Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to send us an email. We're not on Facebook anymore because we deleted Facebook. Um, support the show. Yeah, listen to the we other love shows you. on the network. We love you. We'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.